Asa and doing right in God's sight. Chapter 15, we're just, do, we're just going to deal with verses 9 to 15 tonight. Pretty simple stuff here. <clears throat> First Kings 15, verses 9 to 15. All right, it says, In the twentieth year of Jeroboam, king of, Israel, king of Israel, reigned Asa over Judah. Forty and one years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. That's the same as Absalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his, father, that his fathers had made. And also Maacah, his mother, even her he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. Kind of the, the key phrase there that we're grouping our study around is right there in verse 11. Asa did something. Says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. My dad um, uh, and I, you know, this ran a paint shop, and Dad trained me to to do the paint and body work his way to prepare the surfaces of cars to repair dents and uh, to remove and replace panels on fenders and stuff like that on vehicles. He taught me that. I. <clears throat> pretty much most of what I learned was from him. I did a little bit outside study, but most of what I learned from him and the, the art of painting and everything and uh, how to deal with certain paint products. There's an art to that. And well, sometimes Dad and I, would we, we, we preferred having guys that were, didn't know anything. We bring them in and we teach you from ground up what we know and our way. And, uh, in fact, that's the Sandovals that are running the shop. They changed the name, of course. They've expanded the business a lot. They were taught. They knew nothing when they came to us, and we taught them. And, uh, <clears throat> and now they're doing a fantastic job, and they're training other people. Um, so, anyways, there was a few times where Dad had an EVIT, uh, East Valley Institute of Technology. There's two campuses. There's a southeast or south uh, Mesa campus, south east Mesa campus, and there's a central Mesa campus, uh, it's a great place for, it's like a little trade school, and Michael, my son, had gone there for some pre-engineering, um, but they have a body shop there off the one on Main Street, and they have uh, other trades that they teach, and that's fine. Well, one of the summers, one of the students, I think we may have had this happen twice, but um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did have it happen twice, but one of the guys came, he wanted to work for us for the summer just to get a little experience because he had been a student there at EVIT. And which was fine. He had already learned some things about uh, body work, repairing dents, priming, sanding, prepping a, a panel to paint, painting it, sanding it, polishing it. There's a kind of a process through that whole thing. He had learned some of that already. And he comes and works for us. And it, everything would have been fine except for one thing. He wanted to do everything his way. 
and it, which was probably the way they taught him. And there wasn't a big difference, but there was just some little details of where we do a process a little different from what the EVIT teacher taught. You know, we, the may, maybe the way we prepped a panel, maybe we, the way we pre prepared the metal surface, or the way after Bondo was put on, how we shaved it down first and then sanded it and then broke down the sand from a coarse sandpaper to a fine sandpaper before you... There's little kind of technical stuff I'm saying, but there was little things that we wanted to do. And he would, I'd say, hey, I think his name was, I think his name was Damien. Uh, I said, hey, um, I see what you're doing there. Here's how we're going to do that. And I'd show him a way that we sanded a certain way or a way we prepped it. And he'd go, oh, okay, okay. And I'd come back and he'd be doing it differently. No, 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 don't, don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. You know, and so he, he wouldn't be corrected. <laughs> so he didn't really work for us that long. You know, my dad wasn't too happy with him. And uh, so he didn't work for us that long. But the, bit, the issue was, <clears throat> the issue was he would have done fine if he did things for my dad, in my sense of my dad, right in my dad's sight. That would have been fine. Just do it. You may have learned something that's right in Evit's sight or right in your sight on the working on this car. But if you just look at this guy that's a business owner, do it what's right in his sight, how he thinks it's right. Do that, and you're gonna everything's gonna go fine with us. And he chose not to. But when you do it, but when guys that know nothing come in and say, whatever you think, however you think I should do this, I'll do it. And that's what they do. It goes great. They might even end up taking over the business. All right. And so God here says that Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's one thing to go through life and deem yourself as, I'm doing good, I'm doing right in my own sight. It's one thing to go through life and, and have a kind of a know what everybody thinks of you and see what everybody likes and doesn't like about you and get a gauge of, oh, people think I'm doing good, people think I'm doing right. It's another thing. It's one thing to think you're doing right in your own sight. It's another thing to think that, to, to, to know that other people deem you as doing well and doing right. But it, the most important thing is to know I am doing right in God's sight. According to what I know of God's heart and God's values and God's commands and God's uh, spirit and, and all of that. It's another thing to say, I'm going to do right in the eyes of God. That's why kids, we, you know, you, kids, you have parents, their eyes are on you. And you're, it's your job to, to, to follow mom and dad. But through that, I think most of the parents are teaching you, one day you're, you're going to be away from my eyes, away from my voice. Then whose eyes and whose voice are you going to follow? It better not just be your friends. It better not just be yourself. It better not just be the culture or whatever's hip and cool. The ultimate thing is what does God, what is, what is God's eyes looking for? And that's what I want to apply myself to. You couldn't, you couldn't have any better focus than that, right? right. Okay, because, um, because that's what we're going to give an account of one day. You know, we used a silly example this morning, but I'll read this a little bit. Go to that next picture if you got that. Here's these guys, these NFL play officials. Now, I don't replay officials. I don't know a ton about this. What has this only been around for about 10 years, right? They, they do the replay, but then maybe longer. But anyway, say if you have the football games going on here and, and there's some, you know, there's a controversial call and sometimes they make an appeal to these guys and they can confirm or overturn over, uh, a call. I'll read you this quick little article that, that was on NFL's website. So these NFL play officials, they actually collaborate with the senior official staff members that are in the Art McNally 
Art McNally uh, Central, Game Day Central in New York. So there's, I guess there's a capital here for this. And the, and the games referee, they also, they collaborate with the games referee to ensure a timely and accurate review. They oversee uh, a team that include the, the, this oversee team includes uh, people who are video operators, pl replay technicians, replay field communicators, and replay assistants. Isn't that amazing? We got we got angles here, angles there, and angles there, and we got a guy that's going to come down with the with the little screen for the officials to come over and start looking at, and and we got them communicating to the guys up in the booth, and the guys up in the booth are calling the people in New York, and and everybody's like, we got to get this right, we got to get this right, you know? So it's for a game, right? Because you wouldn't want any riots. So maybe it's important. You know, people get all, they start rioting if, and going crazy if the, one of these teams gets a bad call. And so anyway, so they, they must analyze, these replay officials must analyze game situations before every play, verify and check the clock status at the beginning and end of every play, confirm that each team has the correct number of players on the field at the snap. What else? Throughout the game... The replay officials monitor all aspects of the play just in case there is a challenge on the field that leads to a review. You know, was it they throw out the red thing? Is that what they are? Challenge it! Some of you kids want to do that, don't you? You know, hold a little red flag for your parents. I'm going to challenge that call, Mom and Dad. They might take that back and gag you with it. <coughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, that was mean. Uh, but anyways, this includes being ready to select from the best available broadcast angles for potential consultation. Uh, with the central, uh, game day central. Replay officials are solely responsible for confirming all plays that result in a score or a turnover and all try attempts. They also are responsible for stopping the game to initiate a review on any play that starts after the two-minute warning in each half and throughout overtime. So the bottom line is I'm trying to show you that the eyes of the officials that are on the field and the team sometimes have to make an appeal to these guys who have eyes in a better spot. They have eyes with a better view. Hey, what do you see? And they default to that. And same thing with us. God, you, have a, you, have, you see me. You have a better view of life. And you tell me some things about life, right? See, that's why we don't want to ignore the Bible. God says things in the Bible because he sees life better than we do. Just follow it. And I, okay, God, I'm going to depend on your eyes, and I'm going to follow what you're saying according to what you're telling me your eyes see and, say, and what you say. So I need to do right. The best thing to do is say I'm going to do right in God's, the eyes of the Lord. Is that my mindset? Ask yourself, is my mindset is today I'm going to do right in God's sight. Tomorrow I'm going to do right in the eyes of the Lord. All right, let's look at some observations here. It'll be simple. Some observations about how Asa did it. He wasn't perfect, by the way. Uh, this, this passage doesn't show up, but 2 Chronicles shows a... He, he has a couple things that he shouldn't have done at the end of his life, um, towards the end of his administration. But this highlights the, the positive. Notice this. Um, so it says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, that's the other king in Israel. It kind of shows kind of the timing. Here comes Asa, he's ruling over Judah. Forty and one years he reigned. That's a pretty good length of time. Forty-one years reigning in Jerusalem. Next verse, look at verse 10. His mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. Now that's interesting. Maacah, look what it says about his dad. His dad's name is Abijam. Look what it says in verse 2. Verse 2, 
of chapter 15, Abijam, that's Asa's dad, three years Asa's dad reigned in Jerusalem. And his mother's name, uh, his, I'm sorry, his mother's name was Maaka, the daughter of Abishalom. Now, wait a second. His dad's mother's name was Maaka. And then it says Asa's mother's name was Maaka. It's probably saying the fact that she's the grandma, but she's called mother. All right, so Asa, it appears that Asa's grandmother was actually his dad's, his dad's mother. And so she may have had a part in raising him. She was called queen. She was kind of a looming figure here. Here's mother. All right, Maaka. So Asa has this shadow over him of Maaka, and she was the daughter of a famous person, Absalom, Abishalom. But it says, again, verse 11, Asa did what? That which was right in the eyes of the Lord, in spite of all that, he did the right thing. And number one, we see, the first thing we see is he had a good example, David. It said he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. David was his great, great grandpa, all right? Solomon was a great-grandpa, and David was great-great-grandpa. And so it's good to have somebody in your family, it's good to have somebody in your life that, you know, is a good example. You can say, hey, it seems like they're doing what the Lord wants them to do. It seems like they're a good example of a godly woman, ladies, or of a godly wife. Or you guys, it seems it's good to know maybe some family members or some friends or people in this church and watch people you you see have a good example or have a good reputation in and uh, learn from that example. And it says here of Asa, I lost my place in the text, but Asa did that which was right, and it was like David. David wasn't perfect. Remember, we keep saying this. David fumbled, but David would confess, and David would get back on track and follow the Lord earnestly and have to lick his wounds and deal with his scars and deal with his family dysfunction and, and still keep a heart for God. Look at all the Psalms that David wrote. I don't think idolaters can write that many psalms, right? He wrote a lot. He loved the Lord. It's, isn't, it an, isn't it a blessing to think that God recognizes that you love Him even through your failures and He, he commends you? Look at that. He commend, God is commending David there through that. So David is a good example. We need to be a good example. 1 Timothy 4.12, right? Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. I need to be an example. This, that, that was directly written for a pastor. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in faith, in purity, in charity, in um, all that. It says be an example. Be a, a person like, you know, that's a, good, that's a good idea to do that. Or that's a good um, pattern that person has set for me. Parents, we have, I need to be that. You need to be that for your kids. So he, he did that which is right. He had a good example. Number two, he removed sexual perversions, it says here, in particular sexual perverts. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse um, uh, 12 there, it says Asa did that which is right. Verse 12, he took away the Sodomites out of the land. Remember we mentioned that uh, two kings before this? His grandpa, Rehoboam, just put up with it. His dad only lasts three years in administration. His grandpa, Rehoboam, longer. And remember, we talked about how Rehoboam said, "Ah, we'll just adapt this and we'll get along with this. But Asa comes into the administration and says, you know what, we're going to start getting them out of here. Let's get them out of here. And they weren't 100% purged out until his dad, Jehoshaphat, 
finally got him out. It took two generations. The sodomy, the sodomites were tolerated. They were tolerated by his dad's society. Listen to this. They were tolerated by his granddad's society. But just because dad's and dad's generation and granddad and granddad's generation put up with it doesn't mean I have to. That's what some of you kids should say. We're, we're, you know, all this stuff that's coming up around us, the LGBTQ stuff, we're against it. But you might age as you get older and think, you know what, maybe I should just go along with this. No, don't. Just because dads and a couple generations ahead of you put up with it, that doesn't mean you need to. See, it's good to learn from generations, right? I, I like my dad's generation, my granddad's generation. There's some cool things to learn from them. But, you know, just if something's being done wrong in a generation, that doesn't mean you have to, you know, you have to follow. You can speak against it. So there's a generation right now that's, that's putting up with it. But Asa said, nope, that's it. I'm king. We're not putting up with this. We're going to drive them out. Let's read a few scriptures. I'm not going to spend the whole time on this, but let's actually look and listen with our eyes and ears what God says about this. Leviticus 18.22. This probably included some death penalties. Leviticus 18.22. Leviticus 18.22, this is what Israel was bound to. This, is, this comprised the Old Testament law here, these books, comprised their civil and religious law. This is what they were to do to order their country aright. There's many things described here in Leviticus 18. A lot of it, unfortunately, is dealing with um, sexual sins and nakedness, and it, and it kind of spirals down into bestiality. It's disgusting. But one of the things God says in Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind is an abomination. A man and a man are not to lie together like a husband and wife are to lie together. That's what he says. That's disgusting, God says. Again, the word of God, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. All right, now let's go to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 13. Chapter 20, verse 13. <clears throat> and by the way, in the book of Leviticus, God's telling the Israelites, here's how you order your life. Here's how we order our ethics and our morals. And by the way, God says, don't be like these other nations. This is why I'm spitting them out of the land. So don't go doing what they do, lest I spit you out of the land. All right, Leviticus 20, verse 13. Leviticus 20, 13, if a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And Israel, the nation of Israel was bound to put the death penalty in place for sodomites. They should be put to death. That's what he says. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with womankind, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. It's their deal is what he says. And then a couple more scriptures. Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. Um, <clears throat> Seventeen, Deuteronomy twenty-three, seventeen. <clears throat> there shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Okay, what is he saying? In this country, our girls are not going to be whores. 
Okay, just imagine the nation of Israel, the sons of Israel. In our country, we don't have whores. We don't have prostitutes. We don't have harlots. Not here. Not of the sons of Israel. And we don't have sodomites. Our boys are going to like girls or be single and not touch another, anything else. Okay? That's what he's saying. We're not going to have sodomite boys. We're not going to celebrate them. That's not going to be here. That's what he says. We're going to be straight is what he says. That's what God told Moses and the children of Israel. And then go to first, 2 Kings 23. This will be the last one before we go to the next point. 2 Kings 23. And this is Josiah, the last good king before they went into exile. I like Josiah. He was started out good as a young guy and, and was, good, was good in his administration. 2 Kings 23. It says that Josiah started cleaning house, getting rid of idols and stuff, and reinstituting the, the, the Passover. And, and it even, he even noticed different idol, idolatrous groves. And then it says, 2 Kings 23.7, it says he found a housing development here. He had to get rid of it. I mean, this is like bulldo- bring the bulldozers in. Beep, 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 beep. And they're going to demolish some houses, Okay. Here we go, 2 Kings 23, 7. He break down, Josiah, break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord. They were unabashed. They were cozy being by God's house. Perhaps there was something that made it a little too cozy being by God's house. And they were cozy by feminine things. They were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. So you can see there that, it's, that it's, they can be cozy with, around religious things and around feminine things. Around these, you know, they were on the home decorating network, uh, whatever that's called. You know, they, how come these interior decorators, you know, you got these guys that are interior decorators going, that guy's a little too good and there's something going on with him. Yeah. All right? And so that's kind of, the, you see that? This is a timeless, twisted quality. All right, so they are by the house of the Lord. They're by things that are feminine. And Josiah says, get that out of here. Demolishing the houses. And I don't know if it meant also that that there was the execution. This is what would have been, this is what would have been protocol according to God's word. Why? Because it corrupts the land. And so back to Asa, chapter 15. Asa comes to the administration, dad only lasted three years. Granddad lasted a little longer, and he was, yeah. And Asa says, I'm going to do right in God's sight. Dad may not have done it this way. Granddad may not have done it this way. The culture may or may not, but I'm going to do right in God's sight. And it included, he, he, luck, pr- praise the Lord, he had a good example. He decided to remove sexual perversions around him, which were clearly um, spoken in God's word. And so, again, for us, for us today, We've said it last week. I got. I can't. I'm not the king, but I gotta say. I need to make sure I'm purging my land, purging my entertainment, purging my influences in media with myself first, with my children, and purging the land of the purging my land of sodomites. Right? I have to do that. I want to do. It would only be right in God's sight. And okay, so and then, so that's number two. Number three, two, just a few more points here. He removed long-standing idols. Look at chapter fifteen, verse twelve. Chapter fifteen, verse twelve. He took away the sodomites out of the land, and verse twelve removed all the idols that his fathers had made. So several of his fathers made these really cool idols. Maybe it was carved wood of something. Maybe it was a cool, another cool polished 
calf of gold. Maybe it was something of silver. Maybe it was a god Moloch. I don't know. It was all kinds of stuff. They got infatuated with these idols. And he removed them. Oh, but that don't get rid of it. That's expensive. Bulldoze it. Grind it to powder. No, no, that's really, that's good wood over there. Burn it. Burn it over by the brook Kidron. Don't want the ashes falling on the temple. Just get it away. Burn it. Burn it. That's what he says. Yeah, but wait, everybody likes that silver, right? No, I don't care if everybody likes it. God says, don't, you shall have no, make no other gods and carve them out and have any other gods before me. Get rid of that. Grind that silver and pour it out somewhere. But that's expensive. You can get some money. Nah, get rid of it. Yeah, but your dad made that. I, I love my dad, but I, don't, I, have to fall, I have a heavenly father. Right? He got rid of the idols. Got rid of them. Um, oh, this is interesting. Think, I want you to imagine this. How many of us have a lot of... How many of us have more than five or more aunts and uncles? Five or more. Raise your hand. All right, five. That's, that's kind of a lot. I think I, I had mom and my mom's side I had aunt and uncle there, and dad's side just, I was kind of smaller. But my, I mean, my boys, my, our kids, they got a lot of aunts and uncles all over the place. In fact, they're asking me, hey, there's that person that, are we related to them? You know, they get confused about the Lovegroves because Brother Lovegroves' sister is married to my brother in law. They're like, well, what are they to us? Is this an in law of an in law? You know, so they got aunts and uncles all over the place, and we're thankful for a lot of them. You know, they serving the Lord in good churches like this and all that. This guy, Asa, he had, you could look this up. You can look it up later if you want. It's in 2 Chronicles eleven twenty one. Asa had 28 uncles at least and 60 aunties. Here's how. His, his dad, his dad is Abijam, his granddad is Rehoboam. Rehoboam had way too many wives. And Rehoboam, it says, had 28 sons. Rehoboam has 28 sons. And he has 60 daughters. And they're all of him. So you have, you have this fam, looming family, Right? You have the dad and granddad have died, but you got these aunts and uncles. They probably they probably went along with the idolatry, you know, uncle so and so, uncle this and aunt that, and they probably went. And and he had to he did the right thing in getting rid of the idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. He says that we're getting rid of that. We're getting rid of the silver. We're getting rid of the gold carved idol there. We're getting rid of these groves. Yeah, but your uncle and aunt are just uh, they're. To find a true place to worship, like the temple. And so he got rid of that in spite of family pressure, in spite of family tradition. He had to remove those idols. Let's ask ourselves what has my affection? Let's think about this for a moment or just a few minutes on this point. What is an idol? I said it in a way, but what is an idol again? An idol is anything that is placed above God, right? God, I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. He's got my all. If something else has my all, my, all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, if something else has all my strength, then maybe it's an idol, right? An idol is not merely, well, let's just pretend this is, all right, let's pretend this is, um, this is gold, you know? 
There's nothing wrong with gold, right? Nothing wrong with gold. Uh, there's nothing wrong with silver. There's nothing wrong with wood, right? It's what it's formed into, and not even just that, it's what it's doing to me, right? So, you know, they, have, they carved it out of stone. They'd carve out some image of something. There's nothing wrong with stone. There's nothing wrong with even carving something. But what is it doing to that person? Oh, oh, and they bow to it. They burn incense to it. They pray to it. They think that its existence is going to make them lucky and cause their crops to grow. And, all, and they, it affects their thinking. It affects their focus. It affects their, uh, their, their, all of that and their affection. But in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with stone and woods and silver. and There's nothing wrong with that. Same thing with this. You know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, a, a phone, right? There's nothing wrong with those components of glass and microchips and whatever, all that silicone stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what's it doing to me? What's it become? Nothing wrong with a car. It's just metal and some other composite materials and uh, but what is it doing to me? What have I let it become? What have I formed it into being? How much is my thought taking up by other things besides God? Then that would be an idol. So anything that's placed above God is an idol. Anything that's an over, where I have over-infatuation of, that where it saps all my affection, all my thoughts, that's got to be an idol. Even a false idea about God can be an idol. When people say, I don't think Jesus was this, but I think he was that, and you just come up with your own idea, you're just carving out a new Jesus, right? You know, people, even when people have pictures of Jesus in their home and, uh, and they, they, they say, see, it's almost like, see, Jesus had long hair, and he was like, this. wait a minute, what do you mean? You're, you're really focusing on a, an image, and, or they, they, I have that picture of Jesus over in the corner, and I just look over at it, it helps me feel better. Helps me feel better, man. Well, we need to walk by faith, not by sight. There's ways in which you can even have something that's religious. And sometimes people, even in churches, they take even in a Baptist church, they might take something of church life and emphasize it so much that it becomes an idol. Sometimes there's some churches they they love the preacher so much they just love the preacher. Always talking about the preacher and the preacher and this and the preacher and and it's like the preacher's not a god, you know. Or, or even some people that are factuated with certain doctrine in the Bible, then it's like that they see that doctrine in every page of Scripture on everything, and they have that as their first question about every. It's like their their whole life is built around some one doctrine. It's like you made this an idol, and so the only thing we are to worship with all heart, all mind, and all of our strength is the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Some people can make family an idol. I've seen this happen. Everything's about the family. we got to help our family. Our families are falling apart. But some people, it's like, it's all about the family, the family. And sometimes I think it even can be a, a backdoor way of selfish, just living selfishly. People make family, can make it into an idol. People can make wealth into an idol. People can make self-image into an idol. Where you're so taken up with, wait, i got to look a certain way. i got to have a certain look. And they're just, it's not, if my shoes weren't perfect, then it's just my day's falling apart. You know, and you can just make your self-image into an idol. Uh, entertainment, all that stuff. And so we got to say, do I have any idols? It's easy for me to sit back and say, ha Asa, go get them. Not those dumb, silly, carved out things. Go get them. Well, we could have some of the same things. 
And so I want to do right in the eyes of the Lord, and it's right in the eyes of the Lord for me to just put everything down here and Him always up here. All right, so here it is. He, had, he removed long-standing idols. Uh, number four, he removed long-standing queen, his grandma. She was called mom. Again, she may have had her fingerprints on him and raising him up. Verse 13, he removed her from being queen because, and there was a main cause for it, Mayaka, even her removed because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. Have you ever had a grand... Okay, so let me ask you this. Does anybody have or had a grandma's house that you went to and there was those one things you don't touch? You know, don't go touch the china cabinet. Or don't go touch the nice little, you know, the little set of uh, trinkets up there. But they look so cool. I like those little dollies. I want to play with them. No, those are grandmas. She's had them since 1901. You know, okay, well, what good are they? <laughs> you know, you think, you ever had that? You know, see that? No, just leave them alone, you know. It's almost like Asa came in, because so Grandma Mayaka, or Mom Mayaka, as the text says, he, she built a grove. She built an idol. It was almost like, hey, that's Mayaka's grove over there. It's really nice, nice and well-trimmed, nice and shady, good and cozy for all the idolatrous, immoral worshipers to go in, and there's the coolest idol in there. It's Mayaka's. And he comes in like, bulldoze it, beep, 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 and they just demolish it. What are you doing? Don't you have any respect for your mother? I do. I have respect for God. And God tells me to honor Him first and above all things. And if mom's violating that, then I have to, I have to correct that. How long-standing He removes her. By the way, this is interesting. Um, well, just a couple more scriptures. Look in Titus 2. Think about this. Sometimes we assume that whatever grandmother's out there, she's always just a dear, good old soul, right? Oh, she must be just a saint. Not every time. Not every time. And this one was just because she was grandma a long time and queen a long time. Mayaka wasn't good. So even here in Titus, Paul says to Titus to do this in the church. He says, hey, the older ladies teach them. Teach them, and the older men teach them. And what he's saying is um, teach them uh, to, to that, this idea of that godliness and good character is not just assumed. It needs to be achieved and maintained. Okay, Titus 1, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. Just because a man's older doesn't mean he is sober. They need to be sober. They need to be grave. They need to be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. You think, well, if he's aged, he must be a charitable person and patient. No, you need to achieve that and maintain that. Teach them to do that. Likewise, verse 3, aged women, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. You can have naughty old ladies. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chase keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The idea is we can't assume because I'm older that I'm all good. No, I, gotta, I still got to have good character. I have to... 
for a man, I got to be grave, sound, temperate in the faith, and I have to have some charity, I have to have some patience so that I can be an influence to the younger men. And the ladies, they need to still be like that too, me in good behavior. You need to be in a place, ladies, where you're in just decent behavior because there's some young moms, it says, teach the younger ladies, they want somebody to tell them something. Teach me, right? And so godliness uh, must be achieved in character, not just assumed in old age. It says in Job 32, verse 9, great men are not always wise, neither do the age always understand judgment. And so here it is, back in Asa's day. Asa's, he's, he's king, he's cleaning the house, he's doing this and that, and you know, hey, I'm going to even have to get rid of mom's uh, grove and her idol, and sorry, you just got impeached. You're not queen anymore. What? You know? Get her, guys. Just go, just get her away. Maybe he called in the, the, the guards in the court to say, get rid of her. She's not changing. But he did, God says, that's right in my sight. That's right in my sight. And then, uh, and then it says, a couple more verses here, the high places were not, verse 14. But the high places were not removed. So it probably means that, here's the king, now watch this. Here's the king, he's trying to get rid of idolatry and stuff. Somehow, I don't know how, but somehow there's still places where people still kept something going. And it might be that they're like, hey, he's not, his eyes aren't over here. He didn't have anybody patrolling this area. Let's keep this high place over here. I don't know. Maybe people just got under the radar, but certain things still got, went, got by. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. Now, I think it's referring to it in the context of his policy against idolatry. He had a consistent policy against idolatry. And then last point is this. He did write with what was dedicated. Here's our last point, verse 15. He brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. What is that saying? Here's what it's saying. Do you remember what would happen? What would happen with David? David would go to war. Go to war and fight this ites, fight the uh, Philistines. And what would they do after a fight? What would they collect? The spoil. Take the spoil. What did David commonly do with spoil? Dedicated to God. He's like, hey, you know, I, God, I wanted to build a temple. God says I can't. But my son can't. So, you know, well, I got a bunch of gold here. Let's go ahead and start putting some warehouses and putting it in there. And my son's going to use some of that lumber and that gold and that silver. And that's what would happen is a lot of these kings, they would go to war and they'd get the spoil and they'd take a good amount. Sometimes they would just say, whatever we get, we're going to go ahead ahead of time announce it's all God's. Sometimes they would split it. But the spoils, they would say, we're going to dedicate it to God. It's like, hey, God, thanks for helping us win in the first place. You get the spoils. So what had happened is this man, Asa, his dad had some battles, at least one, I believe. And there were some spoils that he got that he said he dedicated, but it didn't go anywhere yet. It didn't go anywhere. Asa had a battle with like one million Ethiopians, and God helped them win. There were some spoils from that. But just because they got it and they said, when I win, I'm going to give it to God, it didn't go anywhere yet. Look what he says, verse 15. He brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. So somehow it was said that it's dedicated 
uh, Abijam, his dad, winning some battle. Yeah, we got all this. We these spoils, these goods, the silver and the gold and whatever. But it didn't. Maybe it was in a warehouse away. I don't know. It never really was brought in. You said it's dedicated. Let's show it. Bring it into the house of the Lord. They had storehouses by the house of the Lord. You said it's dedicated. Here, we're going to bring it in. We're going to follow through with what we say is dedicated. Asa, he wins this battle with the Ethiopians. He has these battles. If we win, we're going to dedicate all the spoils to the Lord. It didn't stay on the battlefield. It didn't stay over by his house. He said, let's bring it in then. If we're going to say we're going to dedicate it, then follow through on our dedication. God says, that's right in my sight. He had followed through. He did right with what was dedicated. He followed through and brought it in. You know, what we need to say when we, when we dedicate something to God, God, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you my tithe or whatever. I'm going to give you the certain amount in faith promise, and I'm going to dedicate. Whenever I get, I'm just throwing stuff. If I ever I get a bonus, I'm going to give you half or something like that. Then follow through if that's what you say to the Lord. God, if you're gracious enough to bless me in X, Y, Z, then I'm going to give you this percentage. Then follow through with what you dedicate. Um, God, I'm always going to take the Sundays off. If that's what you say to the Lord, then follow through. Follow through, and it's right in His sight to follow through with dedication, and it's commendable. All right, so there's Asa, did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. You know, again, as it, <clears throat> what matters is, you know, God's up in the booth, and there's people on the field of life for me. They, they see what I'm doing. The players see what I'm doing. What matters is what God sees what I'm doing, and that I'm, that I'm pleasing Him, and and the call is right with him. That's what matters. And that's what Asa did.